Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible therapist and coach, Dr. Sean Haywood. Hello, Sean, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I'm so glad to be here. Today, we are going to be talking about reimagining love. And for those that don't know, Dr. Hayward is a classically trained therapist and coach who has been helping individuals and relationships for over two decades. She helps couples learn to communicate, grow trust, and create a fight-free relationship. Sean speaks, trains, coaches, delivers workshop retreats, and online programs. She is the author of Living for Love. Set Yourself Free from Daily Stress, Worry, and Hurry That Wears You Down, which offers readers 10 key tools to move from anxiety, depression, and loneliness to happiness, playfulness, and contentment. How are you today, Sean? Feeling happy, playful, and content, perhaps? (laughs) Absolutely. I totally am. Thank you so much for asking. So I have to ask where you're calling in from today. After all, I hear you've been living out of a camper and traveling full time for many years. So what's your life look like right now? Yeah, great question. Yeah, Chris and I, my husband Chris and I have been traveling, um, you know, without a, a land location, landlocked location for about nine years now. And currently we are just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, where there is a super bloom going on in the desert, which hasn't Mm. occurred for over 50 years. And it is absolutely magnificent. So we've been Mm. doing lots of hiking. Is that why you're there right now? Or is it just a happy coincidence? It was a happy coincidence. Yeah, it's just there's been so much rain at the perfect time. And so everything is like amazingly green and flowers. People didn't even know that there were this many flowers here. Wow. So what's the best thing and the worst thing of doing the travel life like you are doing? So the worst thing is like, I would say, pack up days, like, Mm. you know, just packing everything in. My husband calls it loading out Um, on our loadout days. It's just time consuming. And, you know, you'd rather be on a hike. But Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of the drag of it. Um, but we do pick up and go fewer places than we used to. We used to travel or move every two weeks. And now we usually stay wow. places a couple of months, maybe, or six weeks to be able to mm-hmm. take it in a little mm-hmm. bit more. The best thing, I mean, gosh, the best thing is that we love to chase 75 degrees. So as oh. it gets warmer, we you know go up higher in the mountains. And oh my gosh, there's so many best things. We love to hike and climb and bike. So you're like a little bird. You commute south during the winter and back up north during the summer. It's so true. <laughs> wow. So I have so many questions. I have so many questions about your life, but this is the Learn to Love podcast. We got to talk about <laughs> love. And 
I almost always come up with my own questions that I love to ask folks. And I usually do get a set of list of questions and I'm like, these are great. But however, in one of your list of questions, you had, what's the most important thing you've learned in your life? Which I have to know. <laughs> because, because I feel like we learn so many things in our life. But what's the most important thing you have found? The most important thing that I have learned is how to truly let go and move into a surrendered space. It's the, the most powerful thing I've learned for sure. And it allows for you um, to literally dispense with negative experiences, negative emotions, and, and I guess transcend them in a really beautiful and meaningful way. So this is one of the ways in which we teach our clients to literally let go of negative emotions. So if someone has a lot of anger or a lot of anxiety, you can learn to transcend those. And when you have a sort of a cleaner emotional slate, oh, just everything is easier in life. Mm. We want to let go, as you say, dispense with negative experiences. And I'm curious how we make sure that we're not ignoring. Yeah. Our emotions, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm sad this happened, but it's fine. I'm letting go. Just totally going to pretend I'm not having this experience. So what's what's the distinction there? Yeah, it's such a great question and something that we are constantly asking ourselves as a team, constantly asking our clients, um, because it can be really available to move into denial and call it surrender and letting go. So um, one it's, we have, we have a couple of markers to look for. So if you find yourself toiling about a certain thing, right. And you're like, just playing the story in your head again and again, then, you know, it hasn't been surrendered, right. If you can get mad about it a week later or anxious about it or irritated about it a week later, a month later, a year later, it hasn't been surrendered. So there's there, the evidence of being surrendered is that you actually feel, um, really complete inside or whole or calm. Now, of course, that encourages you to step into radical self-honesty, right? Mm. And so it, it's a it's certainly a practice. It's a it's a habit to form to check in and look in your look inside your emotions. Um and on occasion people will definitely get stuck in like, oh man, I was totally denying that and I was calling it surrender. Because mm-hmm. they might have like practiced um, getting into a surrendered state, mm-hmm. but but didn't really get there. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm curious if you find that there is a connection between our ability to let go of certain things and our ability to love. Oh, a billion percent. Yes, they are well, intimately a billion tied. Percent. That's a good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, they are very intimately tied. So um, we sort of come from the perspective that like the whole you, the most authentic, healed whole version is like your heart radiating at all times. And along the way we grow up and we have, you know, imperfect people raising us, which is totally fine. And then we have experiences and we have drama and we have trauma and we like to look at it as like clouds, like cloud coverage, right? It's like clouding the heart and it's beautiful essence. And over time, 
you start to remove those clouds. And a great way to do that is by surrendering. And when the clouds are clear, you can love really cleanly. Mm. So we almost have this radiant loving nature. And if we aren't feeling that way, it's not because it's changed, but simply covered up. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I do wish that like if I'm, I was literally holding on to a rope and I could just open up my hand and let go. But mm-hmm. if I am experiencing those emotions that get in the way of love, everything from anger to frustration to jealousy and envy, what does letting go of said clouds mm-hmm. <laughs> look like um, in order to experience the vast, loving, radiant nature that we are? Yeah, a beautiful question. So there are multiple ways to access surrender. I like people to really know and understand that it's an evolving skill because when we teach this to clients, they come back for three weeks in a row going, okay, wait, am I, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Because it's it seems subtle at first, but once people have 30 days of practice, they're like, holy crap, So I feel so much lighter. And then, of course, it builds and expands. So, but the easiest way to explain it is we have people, you know, sit down, lay down, take a breath and go inside and find like where there's a heavy energy, right? So if when people are angry, a lot of times they'll feel heaviness in their chest, in their throat, in their stomach. Usually emotional heaviness is found like along the chakras. Um, mm-hmm. And when they find that space, wherever it is, we ask them to lay their attention on it, just like you're laying down a feather, very softly, but very focused, and to be with that energy for just two minutes. And then, you know, Mm. there's expansions from there. But when you can put your attention on something for two minutes, and then sort of like breathe into that space lovingly, it starts to dissipate. Mm. And we teach people that you can think of all of your emotions as like a sandbag. You have an anger sandbag, you get to adulthood, you've got an anger sandbag, an anxiety sandbag, a depression sandbag, frustration, loneliness, you know, you name it. We have all these sandbags. And as people start to surrender, it's like you, like you cut a little slit in it and Mm. it's, it's accumulative. And so for every, you know, you could sort of say like for every moment that you're surrendering another grain of sand is falling out of the bag. And so over 30, 60, 90 days. And then of course I've been doing this for years, you'll get to a point and people will be like, man, I used to get really mad about X, Y, Z. I used to be really frustrated or that used to make me anxious, but it didn't come up mm-hmm. and it didn't come up and it didn't come up. So, so people's triggers just start to, I guess, fall away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love that imagery of the sandbag particularly because sandbags are heavy <laughs> yes and we even have this term baggage or emotional baggage and right. like this thing that we kind of drag along with us and it does create a certain heaviness in our lives and what i'm almost hearing from you it's almost a combination of attention on the sandbag intention and intention to let it go Are there other, I'm almost thinking like mantras or prayers or visualizations or verbalizations that you might 
use to either speak to somebody going through this process or speak to yourself going through this process? Yeah. So we do teach mantras and affirmations in a, a slightly different context. But the most important thing to know with the surrender technique is that you're not mm-hmm. trying to get rid of the emotion. The falling away of the emotion is a consequence of being with it. That's like the biggest mistake people make when they're first practicing letting go and surrender techniques is that they're trying to get rid of something, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. then if you're trying to get rid of something, you're sort of from an energetic perspective coming from lack. And when you come from lack, your unconscious makes the assumption that you can't get rid of it. So Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of like a little mind chuck, but you're surrendering for surrender sake, right? You're just Mm -hmm. being with the energy for its own sake, not to do anything with it. And then the negative emotions, the negative energy, it falls away as a consequence. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Falling away of emotion is a consequence of being with it. And you probably know those phrases that what we resist persists, right? And that's what I'm hearing from you is that trying to get rid of it just makes it stronger. Exactly. Absolutely. So just to clarify for our listeners who are unfamiliar with your work, you keep using this term we, and I think you're referring to your husband, but who is this we and, and what context do you teach these things? Oh, okay. Okay. That's a great question. I do say we, one, it just always feels like selfish and self-centered to be like, I, I do all this stuff. Right. (laughs) So it's we, as in my husband and then Uh the rest of our team, we have an administrative team and other coaches. Uh, Um, So we are, we are a we. Okay. So you have coaches that you've trained and then they use these methods that you're describing. Exactly. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Living for Love, you write that we can find freedom, meaning a freedom in time, money, and relationships, as well as emotional and spiritual freedom by one thing, living for love. And I'm curious what that looks like. What does living for love look like? Mm, Really good question. So I've been doing this work for going on 25 years. I landed on the title Living for Love for a couple of really beautiful reasons. The first 25 years of my 50 years of life, I lived in a constant state of trying to get love. Mm. I didn't know that I was lovable. I struggled with eating disorders and incredible self-abuse. You know, having had, you know, a number of traumas growing up, I just, you know, as so many people do, they get to adulthood and they don't, they don't know they're lovable. And so they'll sell themselves out in any way, trying to get attention, trying to be perfect, trying to please, whatever, you name it, I did it, showing off, right? Like whatever, (laughs) whatever I could do to try to get love. And so Mm. at some point when I started graduate school and then went to coaching school close to 30, around 28 or so, I started to understand that I have to live for love myself. First and foremost, before I can really make a contribution to anyone else in a very meaningful way. Otherwise, I just live this life of trying to get, right? Which obviously isn't isn't that much fun. <laughs> very taxing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, soul sickening, really. Um, and so then it was like living for love of myself and learning that and practicing it and, you know, compassion and grace and all the, all the juicy stuff. And then it became an evolution of living for love of, of other beings, of all beings, all plants, animals, humans, and just like falling in love with the, the whole that is life. And then 
moving into. And of course, you know, there's some overlap here, living for love of divinity or, or God or, you know, um, sacred being, universe, whatever, you know, people have different names. And so it really became this just delightful and delicious evolution of living for love. And mm. so with within the book, there's there's 10 principles and there's lots of like very practical actions for people to take to also be able to, you know, grow in love for themselves if that's where they are um, and then grow in love for other people, right? Um, mankind, animal kind, whatever it is that they're interested in growing and along the way, you get to understand and learn how to dispense with all the drama crap in your life, right? Like clearing out the clutter, so to speak, letting go of all the anxiousness and the fear and the worry and the pleasing and the hurry sickness. And like we were talking about before, we're moving the clouds away so that the beautiful radiance of each mm. person's authentic divinity can shine through with just so much more peace and, and care and kindness. Mm. Yeah, I know a lot of people use that metaphor of putting your own mask on first before other people's. But I prefer thinking of like our love as almost this cup that's inside of us. And we have to fill it up so much that it overflows mm. <laughs> to the yeah. people in, in our life. That's a bit of what I'm hearing from you or along the lines of we live for love for oneself, extend that to other beings, and then extend that to a more universal or cosmic or divine love. Mm. And I'm curious, is that the order that you find is necessary? Like oneself, other people, universe? Well, they they definitely have overlap, right? Like they're working in tandem in some ways. However, what happens if, if you're, if you're only pouring out, right? If people aren't learning how to love and honor themselves and they're only pouring out, then it becomes more like codependence and selling yourself out and perfectionism, right? And so people really need to understand self-love, self-honor. Otherwise it turns into like, you know, more like coping strategies when you're relating to other people. So the self-love piece is really, really important. And people, you can do that through your journey with divinity. You can do that with your journey within your higher self, right? Like to, to me and our team, we don't care what you call it as long as you're calling it out and doing the work. <laughs> um, and then sort of understanding that that all flows into love of the allness, right? All the people, all the all the animals, all the bugs, all the stuff. So I'd love to tap more into how we do develop that crucially important self-love. In your book, you mentioned four key self-love skills, clear boundaries, speak your heart, ask and receive, and just say no. And I'd like to talk about a few of these. And the one that's coming up for me is the just say no one, because I feel like love says yes. So <laughs> what should we be saying no to? Yeah. So saying no for, for most people is an unbelievably crucial skill to learn mm. because we say yes and then there's resentment afterward, mm. right? So until we, like you use the word filling up our 
filling up ourselves first until mm -hmm. people know how to stay relatively full hearted, they sell themselves out in ways that are like codependent or enabling or going to end up in some kind of like upset. Okay. And mm -hmm. so we teach people how to say no relentlessly until mm. they can say yes from a place of service. Right. Mm. Otherwise it's just ping ponging into like, well, I guess I have to do this thing again. Right. Or oh, I said, yes, I really don't want to go. And so then they're feeling crappy about the things that they're saying yes to, even if they wanted to do it from a place of love. So until mm. we can actually do something from a place of love, it's much better to say no. So it could be anything from, you know, hey, would you help me move this weekend? No. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> it could be something like that. So obligations and, and things like that are things to say no to overdoing, worrying and hurrying. Those are things to say no to from like a self perspective. In our mm. home, we have a, um, a consistent affirmation that says, I never hurry. I came from a family of, of hurry sickness. You were always late. That meant you were going to disappoint people and they were going to be mad and then it would all be your fault. And then there was going to be all this stuff. Right. And so mm -hmm. I like lived with my hypervigilant turned on at all times, my shoulders up around my ears going, we got to hurry. We got to hurry to do what? I don't know, but we still got to hurry. So we live mm -hmm. in this like hypervigilant mm -hmm. mode of hurry, what we call hurry sickness. And people have to start learning how to say no to that. No, I never hurry. I might mm. move efficiently sometimes, but efficiency doesn't mean anxious. Where hurry, worry, things like that means anxiety and fear and turning on that hypervigilant fight, flight, freeze state that makes people literally sick. So a lot of saying no to inner states of angst, a lot of saying no to people who are asking things of you at work, like you know, teaching um, clients how to say, how to literally say no at work. It's like, oh, my boss wants to put three more things on my plate. Okay, well, you say no. And what would you like me to deprioritize in order to make space for this other thing? Right. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. there's every facet of life, there are places to shore up saying no. Yeah, I'm reminded of this quote along the lines of society is going to pull you in every which direction. It's going to tell you that this is important and this is important and you have to do this and you have to do this. And it's up to you to say no, put your hand on your heart and say, I'm going to live from here. And this is what I'm hearing from you. All the obligations, overdoing, worrying, hurrying. And I love that term, hurry sickness, because <laughs> I feel like that's where most people are. Yes. Um, I wish that I had made up that term. I didn't. I got it from Eknath Asparo. <laughs> <laughs> He's a beautiful spiritual teacher. He talks about hurry sickness. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the best way to describe that. It's so fantastic. Mm. So what does saying no look like in our intimate partnerships? Because I imagine it can come across as rude. <laughs> if you're like, hey, honey, can you help me cook dinner tonight? And you're like, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's such a great question. Well, one, certainly how we share back a no counts, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, babe, I'm just really wiped out today. Do you think you can handle dinner on your own? I'd really like to just get a little rest, mm. right? So coming full circle, once you learn the skills around literally letting go, when you clear out the clouds from your heart, people have a ton more bandwidth, right? There's more energy, 
there's more time, there's more space. And so then to your question about intimacy, right? You don't need to say no as much because you just have more to give Mm. and you start to learn to live in a place of service of one another. And so saying yes is a loving yes, not an obligation. Yes. It's like, of course, babe, I'd love to help you with dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but along the way to getting there, there is a space of telling your truth, speaking from the heart in a heart centered way. It's like, Oh gosh, I'd really love to help. And here's what's happening with Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Here's, you know, and it's not like excuse making, it's just sharing your truth. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it reminds me of how often we do need to set certain boundaries in life in order to get uh, what it is that we want. Like a a common piece of advice for couples is to have a date night. And a huge reason for that is they feel like they don't have time. So we have to, first of all, make that time. Yes. And which will often involve saying no to things. Yes, we are huge advocates of simplifying, right? I mean, people are insanely busy. Nobody needs to do all the shit that they're doing on a daily basis, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's madness, right? It's, it's the whole, um, like a super size, everything in your life and Amazon two day delivery. Like our, our whole life is, has become set up that way. And it's like, no, we, we've got to simplify so that there is actual space for sacred time, whether it's a morning date mm. or an evening date or a Friday standing date, right? Like, to live for love truly, we we need to simplify life for sure. So lots of no's to the outside world is, is encouraged. Hmm. Simplify so there is actual space for sacred time. I love that. So another key self-love skill you write about is speaking from the heart. And tell us more about that. Mm, this was quite the journey for Chris and I. So when we got together 14 years ago now, I think, we had a lot of work to do in this realm for sure. Mm. I had a ton of anger that I learned fair and square from my family. He had an um, unbelievable capacity to shut down and be paralyzed and look like a deer in the headlights when I would get angry. And so we had a lot of ground to cover here. And it's it was a very, very beautiful um, journey. And one thing that we came up with, we read one of Brene Brown's books, like her first books, this was a lot of years ago. Mm. And she mentioned at the time, now she does all kinds of things with it, which lots of people do. But at the time, she just mentioned that she was telling a story to herself. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so masterful. And we started applying that in a million ways. And hmm. so one way, one like simple way to, to share your heart is to just literally say, the story I'm telling myself is that you'd rather be at work late than come home and spend time with me. Right. And so it's soft and it's loving. It's not, you're always at work and I'm not a priority. Right. That doesn't invite someone into your space to to make different loving, caring choices. That encourages people to work more. Right. They come home, they're Mm -hmm. in trouble. Right. It doesn't feel good. So, yeah, of course, people will gravitate toward where they feel helpful, useful, joyful. So once once things like that start to transpire, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be at home because it's not fun there. Um, or I'm like hiding out on my video games or cooking and cleaning or whatever. 
So that beautiful, beautiful speaking, sharing from the heart space can literally look like something as simple as I feel lonely today. Right. If we're talking about the context with a with a um, a romantic partner, that is very very different than accusations of why I feel lonely, my perceptions of why I feel lonely, and how it's your fault. And when we just simply say I feel lonely, oh my gosh, people's hearts melt. They want to come in and be like, oh my gosh, honey, babe, sweetheart, what what can I do? Mm-hmm. And so when we speak like that, or we say the story I'm telling myself, or, you know, something that's really vulnerable, like vulnerability is the key, instead mm-hmm. of accusations and blaming and, and um, you know, creating dr- like upset, angry drama about it. Mm-hmm. So because you seem pretty open about speaking to your own experience, I'm curious what the what the story was. So when I'm hearing from you, you had anger. Chris had a capacity to shut down. You found Brene Brown had this basic idea along the lines of almost a sentence prompt. The story I'm telling myself is that. Mm-hmm. What story were you telling yourself? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, we tell a thousand stories. Oh, well, probably more like six. We have 60,000 thoughts a day, roughly. We probably have about uh, 59,000 stories, drama stories that people <laughs> tell themselves in a day until you start cleaning it up. Mm. Oh my gosh. Stories. Oh, dude, I, I, there's so many. I mm-hmm. told the story that you don't actually care about me. You don't want to talk to me, right? Where he was like stuck and literally stuck in paralyzing fear that I would be more angry. I would be like, you just don't want to talk to me and rah, 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 right? And I had, because I, being a a recovering, recovered um, eating disorder, I would always be like, you think I'm fat. You don't want to hang out with me because I'm too fat, Mm -hmm. right? And that was Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. 110 pounds at the time. And you just like, the the nonsense but our stories are so important because they're a reflection of our self-perception so one activity we have people do is just start writing down then what seems like nonsense scrolling through their minds because it reflects where we can receive healing where we can dig Mm. in and do work especially Mm -hmm. when we're arguing it's like you did this you did that it's like oh my gosh okay i know that fighting is awful and it's not fun And it's very dramatic, but at the end, if you didn't know how to get in the way of it to, to stop it before it starts, write down Mm. what you're fighting about, what you're actually saying so that we can go back and figure out what can actually be solved here. Mm. So the stories, while dramatic, they're really important bits of information. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. It reminds me of that slogan in meditation communities that you don't have to believe everything that you think. And it's easy to be like, you are acting this way. But once you add that, the story I'm telling myself is that you're acting this way. It helps to conceptualize it, that it's a story you've kind of made up (laughs) and it doesn't uh, tap into the truth, nor does it say, uh, ask your partner what's actually going on. Exactly. And in fact, we in one of our online modules, we have a, um, a page that has five steps on it. And it, it's super simple. We ask every, whether it's a couple or an individual, it doesn't matter because everybody doesn't matter who you're, it might be telling stories about your boss, right? 
we have them print out 50 copies immediately and put them in your purse and your car and your bedroom, like all around the house with, with plenty of pens so that you can immediately start going through this. And the story I'm telling myself is, is one piece of that. Because as soon as you write down the story I'm telling myself is blank, it's like, okay, <laughs> right? Like instantly <laughs> the mind becomes more rational and it's like, mm. okay, well, if I really thought my husband hated me, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. Right. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. it just allows you to catch yourself in some of the like true drama parts of it. Mm -hmm. And then you get to look back on what you wrote like a week later, a month later and be oh. like, <laughs> like wow, I cannot believe that that was the story. That was the story I was living in. <laughs> it's so true. Or a year later, people do. Keep them and email us years later. It's so cute and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this used to be my reality. <laughs> but we all start somewhere and that's okay. So, our topic for today is on reimagining love. And before we get into what we want to imagine it as, how do most people imagine love today that you seek to change? It's more that people are rooted in negative or dishonoring patterns, habits, thoughts, behaviors, right? That get in the way of love or lovingness, right? Mm. And so again, it's like, you know, you can think of the sun and clouds or like an artichoke and the heart's in the middle and you're peeling away all the crap so that you can get to this big radiant space, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's so many, oh my gosh, just like the myths that we see around love, like, oh, if you, you, if you loved me then, right? And so that's one way that people mm -hmm. imagine love. People think that, you know, they watch, you know, girls especially are, are, are raised watching fairy tales and Prince Charming and he's supposed to rescue me. And it's like, girl, we got to rescue ourselves, you know? And, mm -hmm. and men, you know, a lot of the men that we work with, they imagine love in ways that are pleasing and conforming and right. Like losing, shedding their masculinity to try to be the partner that she wants me to be instead mm. of really owning their space, right? They get, they shrink and get smaller and lose confidence. And then she becomes more controlling, right? Like, and, the, and then we try to call this love or it's like, let's pick our battle, right? Choose your battles, fight fair. I'm like, what? This is our love partner. We're not in the military here. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do we want any mm -hmm. of that? Mm -hmm. So our, the, what, how we experience love, what we think about love, the stories we tell about love are definitely dominated by, you know, culture, movies, right? Like we're always supposed to be, you know, tearing each other's clothes off the moment we walk in the door and <laughs> no one needs any foreplay or, you know what I mean? It's like, it's dramatic, but people believe it. Men believe that sex should look like pornography, right? I mean, there's so, and then they think that's, that's love. Like that's how to get love or be loving. So there's a lot of, a lot of undoing around mm. what people think that love ought to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'll just repeat something you said, that people are rooted in negative or dishonoring patterns, habits, thoughts, and behaviors that get in the way of love. It's true. You mentioned the culture, our culture and the movies and the, the narratives we have, have around love. And I even recently had a guest that basically said most love is boring. And I was, I've been thinking about that lately because... <laughs> 
like you know you want to watch a tele like a show because it's interesting and so there's always going to be conflict so we think a lot of times that conflict yelling and a lot of toxic behavior in relationships is like normal because that's what makes for for good tv yeah i mean i personally we hardly watch any tv because there's not much that's rated sean anymore <laughs> like what <laughs> happened to the cleavers right mm. but yeah it's it, that i it's so entertaining that you brought that up uh, about love being boring because people are always like oh my god you guys should do video yourself just like hanging out all the time and i was like People would be so bored. All we do is smooch <laughs> and cuddle and giggle and play with our dogs and tell each other how lucky we are and how in love we are. I'm like, people would, no one would want to watch that. So we, I mean, of course, our experience of love is like magnanimous, but yeah, I think probably most people <laughs> might think it's boring. <laughs> so what does the next evolution of love or what does reimagining love look like? How should we look at love in a more healthy and love-serving way? Yeah, um, it's such a, a really beautiful question, Zach. You know, with our clients, one thing that we do first and foremost is start to have them do some like really specific envisioning exercises because, you know, what what works really beautiful for Chris and I might not be somebody else's dream of, of what love mm-hmm. looks like. Right. And so, yeah, we wanted a totally fight free marriage. That doesn't mean that's everybody's, you know, vision or dream. And mm-hmm. so we start with envisioning what does your idea of love, right. And it, and it definitely evolves and expands for people over time as they heal and grow and, and evolve themselves. But what do you want it to look and feel like? Mm-hmm. What do you not want it to look and feel like anymore? Right. We have a lot of people who are like, I don't want to feel like I walk on eggshells anymore. Right. So it's really helpful to know what I don't want mm-hmm. and then start to think about and imagine. And, and the more people give themselves like five, 10, 15 minutes at a time to just dream and imagine, they mm-hmm. start to get beautifully clear about, reimagining their own love. And so what does it look like for yourself, with your family, with your partner, with your kids, with your work, with your pets, right? Like all the beautiful areas of love with contribution or, you know, it doesn't matter. We give, we give them all kinds of topics. Like here's where you start to envision. And the more specific they get, the easier it is to actually bring it to fruition, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's how we start with our clients is just that imagining phase. Um, Because, you know, again, in lieu of imagining and intentional creation, we just stay in the old crappy self sellout, heart cluttered habits and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me just of the power of intention. And it's easy to fall back into unconscious patterns and behaviors. But I also just feel like a lot of people choose like the default relationship or they just fall into the default relationship. There's never even like a conversation with a potential romantic partner or somebody that you're deepening deepening intimacy with what it is that you want, what it is you want your partnership to look like. Yep. Even like what your values are or like what, you know, what matters most to you. Yeah super important conversations, right? That almost never get had. (laughs) Yeah. 
So as we're winding down, I wouldn't mind just talking a little bit more about love in a universal sense. You actually dedicate your book to multiple things, perhaps all pointing to the same uh, ineffable truth, God, source, truth, divine spark. And I'm curious to hear some of your ideas around how love fits into a more spiritual or universal sense. Yeah. Um, so to me, there uh, again, I don't think God cares what we call God, you know, so they're all <laughs> the God source, truth, divine spark. Um, they're they're all the same to me, universe. Yeah, they're all just the, the divine fabric that ties everything and creates everything or co-creates, manifests, right? Mm-hmm. To me, it's simple because I believe that God is love and only love. And our life for, for everyone, the life journey is a journey to remove everything that is not love, every habit, every belief, every positionality, every judgment. And as we remove more and more love shines forth and our experience um, aligning with divinity just Mm -hmm. becomes constant, right? Like that's what's available is that you can live in that constant state of open hearted connection with all that is. Mm. Sounds perfect. Almost too perfect. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, oh, I would just love to feel a constant state of divine flow and love and open-hearted connection with the world. Yeah. What do you say to those who don't don't feel it or maybe don't even believe in such a thing? They think we live in a cold and indifferent universe. Yeah. So um, our experience of life, like our, the culmination of everything we have practiced and learned um, and like practiced from like a mental standpoint um, creates the reality that we live in, right? From um, quantum physics, metaphysics, however you want to, you know, understand it from, from that kind of perspective. Um, We create and perpetuate what we believe, right? And so, yeah, there's lots of people that don't believe that that's possible and that's totally okay. But also it's a, it's an evolution. I mean, I have been unbelievably dedicated for 25 years, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we spend three hours in the morning with our, our um, spiritual rituals and Mm. then another hour at night. Like it's a, it's a real dedication in our family um, that we both feel great about now. Does everyone want to do that? No. And that's totally okay. Right. And so Mm. if you look at, at one, two ends of a spectrum, one being, I don't believe that I'm lovable. I don't believe that I'm ever going to be loved. And so I'm out here trying to get love so hard, no matter what I have Mm. to do. I just want to feel an ounce of love for a moment. Right. That's when we're like sleeping around. Right. This is at this time I dated a man who stole $50,000 and knocked up a stripper. Right. Like I would, I would, I would take love wherever I could get it. Right. And I sold myself out in a big way. So we have one end of the spectrum where we're willing to do anything. We have the other end of the spectrum where we can live in love and, and flow all the time. So Everyone is going to start at a different point on the spectrum. It doesn't matter where it is. And there's Mm. no like right or wrong way. And being on one end is not any more right or wrong than being on the other end. It's just an evolution 
starting wherever anyone is if they choose to start a different journey. Yeah, I love tying this into something you were mentioning earlier about recognizing what story we are telling. And Mm. what I'm almost hearing from you is that we can do this in a very empowering way. Recognize that we are writing our own story right now and we can write an entirely new story that moves from, uh, say, self-blame or hatred or even frustration with the world (laughs) to a more aligned sense that, you know, things are the way they are for a reason. We can trust and, and, and surrender to that while tapping into a love that's inside of us and start writing that story instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, Zach, I don't live in bliss 100% of the time. I definitely still have some negative things come up. It's just, it's just not very often anymore, right? Where mm-hmm. it was a constant state of angst. I didn't know, I didn't even know 25 years ago, I didn't even know a reprieve from anxiousness unless I was, you know, drinking and being the life of the party. Right. But anyone can get to a place where the vast majority of their life is unbelievably joyful almost every minute of the day. I didn't want to be misleading there. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. We didn't get into it, but another thing that you write about is, of course, that life is a practice. And that's what we're talking about right now. It's an intentional, conscious Mm -hmm. decision to get better at these things that we're describing. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Sean Hayward, for coming on to the show. I do have to finish by asking the same question I ask all of my guests, which I feel we've almost answered, but still have to ask it. What do you wish everyone knew about love? Oh, Oh, that's such a great finishing question. Thank you for asking. What do I wish everyone knew about love? Well, one, I guess that it is their divine birthright to live inside of it, to know how lovable you are, to know that love is always available. And that you don't have to try to go out and get it. It just is there because it radiates out of you. Um, and, you know, I think if people knew that, that that was lying, that that truth was lying underneath the pain and suffering and frustration and loneliness, it'd be a whole hell of a lot easier to, to let go of it. Hmm. Beautiful. Hmm. Thank you, Sean, so much for our listeners who want to learn more about you. How can they find you? Yeah, so um, people can go to reimaginelove.com. That's a great place to start. There's some wonderful complimentary downloads. We have a Facebook group called Reimagine Love, as you might imagine. Yeah, those are the are the main places. And um, within either of those, you can get on our, our email list where we send out lots of juicy content as well. Sean Hayward, every, um, <laughs> Sean Haywood, everyone, <laughs> author of Living for Love, Set Yourself Free from the Daily Stress, Worry, and Hurry That Wears You Down. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah, thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember many of the valuable lessons that Sean shared with us today, including how important it is to learn how to truly let go and move into a surrendered space including the whole you, the most authentic you, is like a heart radiating at all times. 
Saying no to things like hurry sickness helps you say yes to things from a more loving place. Look at the story that you're telling yourself. Envision what your idea of love looks like and your ideal of love looks like. And it is your divine birthright to live inside of love. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Sean. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 